Please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John. We have been studying the fifth chapter of this Gospel for several weeks now, and we have reached the final section of the fifth chapter of John. But never fear, if you keep turning to the right, you will see there is plenty more John left for us. But we will have accomplished at least the first five chapters after today. And Jesus is continuing to speak to the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees. They have challenged him. They have been upset with him because of what he has been teaching and doing. And many scholars and commentators even think this is a formal setting. That it is almost a courtroom setting. That there's legal language that's involved here. But we're coming now to the last section and we begin in verse 39. We'll read to the end of the chapter to verse 47 as Jesus gives a final challenge to the Jewish leaders. If you would please give attention to the reading of God's word. For the word of the Lord is completely inerrant. The word of the Lord is completely sufficient. And the word of the Lord is completely authoritative. John chapter 5, beginning at verse 39. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people. But I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come In my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you. Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Let's pray for his blessing upon it. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this morning that you would make your word come alive to us. That as we study it, we would see the Lord Jesus Christ in all His glory. That it would spur us on to love. That we would be driven more and more to trust in Him. And that we would be drawn together as Your people. This we ask in Christ's precious name. Amen. It is a temptation today to believe that it is enough or sufficient to be religious or to be spiritual. After all, in our day, in a world like ours, that makes you stand out. If you espouse any spiritual views, even the most vague. But Jesus warns us against that. Because that was true in his day as well. There were many, many people 
who held no religious views. They didn't have polls that they sent out in the times of the New Testament, but if they did, a vast majority of the people would have checked the box, none. And so, our world is not that different from Jesus's. And what Jesus is telling us is that we can be spiritual. We can even have the Bible. And we can miss the message that God has for us. Jesus reminds us that we should not be looking for good behavior, for knowledge, or for spirituality. No, we have to look for and find Jesus. And the Bible is God's love letter to us about Jesus. We have to remember that the Pharisees were the good guys of their day. And we can be tempted to rest in a spirituality or a religiosity that they had. But we can't. Because we need Jesus. And the Bible testifies to Jesus, God's Son, the Savior. And so this morning, Jesus has three commands for us, three directives for us from our text. The first thing that we learn from our text is that we must look for Christ. It's not enough to dabble in the Bible. It's not enough to have a vague spirituality. We must look for Christ. The second thing that Jesus tells us is that we must glorify God. Our focus must be on the Lord God and not on ourselves. We are not to try and glorify ourselves to improve our standing in the world. We are to glorify and honor the Lord God. And then the third thing that Jesus tells us is that we must hope in God. The Lord God is our only hope. There is no other hope for anyone on the face of this earth other than to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son whom the Father has sent. That is our hope. We must look for Christ. We must glorify God. And we must hope in God. Well, let's begin then by looking at Jesus telling us to look for himself in the scriptures and in life. Now we are here, Jesus, as I said earlier, is in a sort of pseudo-legal battle with the Jewish leaders. It's probably not a formal trial, but it has all the marks of a formal argument or debate. There's legal language. Jesus has told us over and over again that he calls witnesses to testify to who he is. And now... He continues to challenge the Pharisees. Now, one of the things that I think for us to understand our problem and to hear Jesus' solution is we need to understand that the Pharisees come to us with preconceived notions in our heads. You see, we understand the general story of the Gospels. We know that the Pharisees are the bad guys. We don't want to be like them. As a matter of fact, if you want to win an argument, you call someone else a Pharisee, and then you win. No. 
we need to understand that the Pharisees were the ones in that day that we would have wanted to be like. They were religious. They had the scriptures. They searched, Jesus said, and they studied the scriptures. You see, Jesus tells them in this challenge in verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Now, the Bible wasn't just something that they put on their shelves. It was something that they read, that they searched. They were diligent about the Bible. They read the Bible. They memorized the Bible. You could walk up to a Pharisee and ask them what the middle word in the book of Psalms was, and they could tell you. You could ask them, well, what is the 39th Psalm all about? And they would recite it from memory. So you see, they memorized whole books of the Bible. They searched, they examined carefully. That's what the word means. They took great effort. They wanted to know completely. The word search here is the same word that Paul uses later to say in the book of Romans that God searches hearts. It's all-encompassing and comprehensive. Jesus also tells us that they're looking for eternal life. And that makes them very different from most of the world around us that isn't thinking about life after death. Most of the world around us does everything they can to avoid thinking about death and the after death. Not the Pharisees. They knew that there was eternal life. They believed what God said in the Bible about that. And they wanted eternal life. So they sought after it. You see, they weren't trivial about their study of the Bible. They knew there was more to life than the here and now. They weren't caught up in the world and all its attractions. In this, they were a lot like us. They were different from people who didn't care at all about God or about the Bible. They were different from the people around us who don't believe there's anything more after this existence. And so we can see if that is our understanding of them initially, why they thought they were on God's side. They were the good guys. But what are they really doing? Jesus tells us here. Notice what he says. If you read too quickly, you'll miss it. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. Notice what Jesus says. It's not the message of the scriptures that they were after. It was the possession of the scriptures that they were after. Having the Bible in their eyes meant that they were worthy of eternal life. And this is something that was borne out in their theologians. There was a famous rabbi from the New Testament era that had a saying. He said, more Torah, more life. What that means is more Torah, that is the law, the written law, specifically the first five books of the Old Testament, the more of that you have, the more life you have. Just simply by having it. And, and after all, that's what separated them from others around them. They had the Bible. They had the Bible on their shelf. If, if they were living with us today, they would have the Bible on their phone. Not one app, probably four. They would have the Bible on their shelf. They would have an audio Bible for their car. 
But you see, they so obsessed over the scriptures that they missed the point of the scriptures. And, and that can happen to us today, too, if we're not careful. People want to be affiliated with the Bible. They want others to know they have a Bible, they own a Bible. All you have to know to understand this is to think back of how many politicians try and quote the Bible for you. They think somehow just by saying something that sounds Bible-like, that that will carry authority. Because after all, about 90% of the time that a politician quotes the Bible, he completely messes up the Bible. But it's just a sense they want you to have. People are also always looking for secret messages in the Bible. They're counting words and pages and lines and trying to find secret codes and predictions as if somehow having the Bible in that way, it can be decoded and they can obtain blessing from it. But I think there's something maybe even more common on the other end of the spectrum, the way people treat the Bible. It's common to look to the Bible as a self-help book as practical application for life. How can I have a good marriage? How can I make sure that my kids don't grow up and mess up in life? How can I save money for the future? How can I run a successful business? Well, I go to the Bible and I find these principles that I can put into action. But I want to ask you a question. Have you ever wondered why the Bible is not topically arranged? Why Paul doesn't have a letter for parenting or a letter for marriage. But instead he talks about husbands and wives in Ephesians, in Colossians, in 1 Corinthians, in 2 Corinthians, and in Romans, all over the place. Why does Paul do this? Why doesn't the Bible come with an index so that I can save myself some time if what I'm really concerned about is stewardship, I just flip to the back of my Bible, find what I need, and go my own merry way. I think the reason it isn't is because God knows we would be tempted to treat the Bible that way. That all we would want is the answers from the Bible. Not the message of the Bible. Now, this is going to sound like an odd criticism. But Jesus says, you spend too much time in the Bible. Now, how can we say that? How can we say their problem is, is that they were locked into the Bible, searching the Bible? After all, all around us, the problem is that no one reads the Bible. And nobody cares about the Bible. We would love to have a discussion with someone about the Bible. But Jesus reminds us that the Bible is God's word. And it fulfills God's purpose. We cannot treat the Bible as an end in itself. The most important thing about the Bible is Jesus. Now that sounds so simple, so obvious, but it must be said because after all, Jesus said it. Look at verse 39. They, that is the scriptures, bear witness about me. Jesus says, the Bible, the scriptures, testify about me. And he's using that same witness language that we've seen earlier. We talked about John, about the miracles, about the Father. They all testify to Jesus. And Jesus says, that is the point of the scriptures. 
Not to show us how to live a good and happy life. Not to answer questions we might have about the ancient world. But to introduce us to the one who has life. Now, it's far more common to approach the Bible the way the Pharisees did than we think. There are scholars, whole Bible departments, entire seminaries that study the Bible and they don't even look for Jesus. Now, it's not that they don't find Jesus. They're not even looking. They're trying to make the Bible serve their purposes. And and we can see that even in the church. For many, the Old Testament is is used to give moral lessons to children, how they should behave and what they should do. In far too many churches, there are sermon series about how to be a good parent. How to bring excitement back into your marriage. How to be a wise steward. Because people want the Bible to tell them what to do. But that makes the Bible a means to an end. The Bible is important, but hear me now. Not in itself. Its value is that it shows us Jesus. It shows us our need for Jesus. After all, the Bible really makes no sense without Jesus. And Jesus is very direct here in verse 40. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. You search the scriptures, but you refuse to come to me. For all your Bible searching, you won't come to me. And the word refuse here is very colorful. It means you don't want to do it. You don't desire to do it. You consciously reject the idea of coming to me. But Jesus is the only one who has life. But if we don't look for him, then what we're saying is we don't care. And then we start looking in all the wrong places. This morning we're studying the Bible. We're making a serious effort. And the reason is that we want to see Jesus. Not so that we can feel good about ourselves or know more than others know. No, we need Jesus. And the Bible is where we find him. We must look for Christ. Well, Jesus then tells them that they were focused on themselves. Instead of glorifying God... They wanted human approval. They wanted themselves to be glorified. It's not just that they thought the scriptures were an end to themselves. No, they had a kind of specific end in sight. And that end that they had in sight was that they were to be the heroes of the story. They refused to look for and come to Jesus because they were so busy trying to magnify themselves. Look at what Jesus says here in verse 41. I do not receive glory from people. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus, the Son of God, the creator and sustainer of the universe, does not look for glory. If anyone deserves glory, it's him. But Jesus is making a point about motive. It's not to be glorified, to be talked about by other people. 
No, Jesus is the one who brings eternal life. And that is his focus. That is the focus of the Bible. But instead, they wanted human approval. They were not looking for Jesus. And they were not looking for God. And they were not finding the message that God had given to them in the scriptures. And that was proven by their lack of love. Jesus says in verse 42, I know that you do not have the love of God within you. The love of God does not fill their hearts. That's crucial. Because when we truly know God, when we truly hear from Him and His Word, we are changed. And the love of God, as Paul says in Romans 5, is poured in our hearts. Do you see what Jesus is saying here? If you truly believe in God, you will look for Jesus in the scriptures. And when you find him, you will never be the same again. You will love God. Not just ideas about God, but God himself. Not just spirituality, whatever that means. But you will love God and you will love people. And it will show. Look at your life today. Is that true of you? When others look at you, will they see that you love God? And that you love others made in His image? Can they see that you love God? Can they see that you love people? Because if you've met the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been changed and the love of God is in your heart. If you're interested in the things of God, or talking about God, then you run the risk of not having the love of God in your heart. Jesus says that they focused on their own agenda. Look with me at verse 43. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Now, what does Jesus mean here? What is he saying? Well, in the days of the New Testament and afterwards, men were constantly coming to the forefront claiming to be the Messiah. And Jewish leaders followed them, not because of the truth of their claim, but because it advanced their own agenda. An example of this is a man by the name of Simon bar Kokhba. In 132 AD, he led a revolt against Rome. He claimed to be the Messiah, and as the Messiah, he said, I'm going to lead Israel to victory against your enemies, the Romans. And he was hailed as the star of Jacob by the Jewish leaders. The reference there is Numbers 24, verse 17. He was the Messiah for sure, because we know the Messiah is going to take on the Romans. But his actions weren't Jesus' actions. His teaching wasn't Jesus' teaching. And you don't have to know history well to know the end of the story. The Romans put down the revolt and killed him and all of his followers. Because he wasn't the Messiah. And you see... When the Jewish leaders followed after a man like Simon, they did it not because of the truth of his claim, not because of the amount of scripture that he knew, not because of the prophecies that foretold him, but because he was doing what they wanted him to do. 
He was a convenient Messiah, we might say. He advanced their agenda. Now, could we be guilty of that? Do we want Jesus to advance our political cause? Are we willing to substitute what we want for Jesus? Instead of having Jesus, do we want fame? Or money? Or a good family? Or social justice? Do we want something and we substitute that for Jesus? Are we looking for our agenda to advance? For Jesus to be on our team and to take us across the finish line where we will be put on shoulders and carried around as the victors. Jesus warns us strongly against this. He makes very clear that what matters is God's glory and God's approval. And he hits them right where it counts. Look at verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Now, that would have been their pride and joy. If you were to ask the Pharisees what makes them different from the Romans or the Greeks or the Persians or the Egyptians, they would say, we believe. They don't. That's the dividing line. We're the believers. They're the pagan unbelievers. And they wanted everyone to know they were the believers. They spent every moment that they could advertising it. From the way that they prayed, to the way that they gave, to the way that they read the scriptures. Everything they did was for show so that others would know they were the ones who believed. They wanted to be praised by others for how knowledgeable they were, how religious they were. But that focus kept them from God. Now, when you only care what others think about you, you don't care what God thinks. They were so busy seeking the approval of men that they never let God enter the picture. I'm going to tell you this. No one can live for the approval of man and live for the glory of God. You can't do it. You may as well learn it now. Young people, middle people, well-seasoned people. If you live for God, people are going to think you are weird. They're going to think you're a troublemaker. They're going to think you're the enemy. How do I know that? They thought that about Jesus. You have to decide whether you want to serve and please God or others. That may be one of the greatest questions of your life. And it's a question you will have to face each and every day when you get up. Finally, Jesus tells them, and by implication us, that the scriptures point them and us away from ourselves. It's the third thing we see this morning, that we must hope in God, not in ourselves. You see, they were not looking for Christ in the scriptures. They were not seeking God's glory. And the reason was that they were looking for themselves and what they could do. They didn't think they needed a Savior. That's why they weren't looking. Have you ever had that happen to you? I mean, have you ever 
not looked for the right tool because you didn't think you needed it? So, for example, you all know about my home repair prowess. You've heard me speak of that before. And so, typically, if I have to do anything or fix anything around the house, my toolbox is a hammer and a screwdriver. And that's it. And anytime I try to fix something, that's what I use. Because I don't know whether I need a wrench, and I don't even ask me what the different kinds of wrenches are even named. There's all sorts of tools that I couldn't even tell you what the name of them are. So I've got a hammer and a screwdriver. And so if I need to get a nut off a bolt, you know, you can do that by putting the screwdriver on it and hitting it with the hammer. If you need to open up something, you can pry that screwdriver in there and get stuff loose. Right? You know what? Sometimes you don't even need to use the screwdriver. You can have a screw. You can just hammer that screw right in. You could go ahead and do that. But you see, the point is, you understand immediately that I'm missing the basics of repairs. I don't have a first clue. I don't even know what I don't have in order to ask for it. And that's what the Pharisees were doing with the Scriptures. You see, Jesus tells them, He doesn't even have to accuse them. Look at verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is another who accuses you. And I think here, in my sanctified imagination, that our Lord Jesus Christ used a preacher's pause here. There's another who accuses you. Moses. And as soon as he said that, their jaws hit the ground. They could not possibly imagine that. And that's because they had set their hope on Moses. That's what Jesus tells us at the end of verse 45. You've set your hope on Moses. Now, what does that mean? It means that they looked at the Bible as a plan for self-righteousness. To them, the Bible contained instructions that they needed and could do in order to be right with God. And they would break the Bible out in order to fix their problems. And they didn't use the Bible for a relationship with God or a devotion with God. You might think of it this way. When was the last time you pulled your car's owner's manual out of the glove box? I can tell you what the answer for me is, was yesterday. Because my daughter needed help with setting her clock after the battery was changed. And... She didn't know it, and I didn't know. So we had to pull out the manual. And the first thing I did was search for clock in the index. I went right to where it was. I found out exactly what I needed. We fixed the clock, and then what did I do with the manual? I put it back in the glove box. Did I take it into the house and have my devotions this morning in the manual? Did I think, I need to read my manual more so I will love my car more? No! But you see, that's how the religious leaders viewed the Bible. There's a problem. We'll find the solution. We'll do what the solution says. Problem solved. God is with us. And Jesus says, Moses spoke of me. Moses would accuse you of misusing his writings. 
That's how off the reservation you are. He says, you're completely lost. Moses, they thought, had given them everything that they needed so that they could make up rules and regulations so that they could do acts that would be worthy in God's sight. We've seen this already, haven't we, just in this chapter about the Sabbath. Moses had spoken and written about the Sabbath and given them regulations about the Sabbath. And they had gone from there to making a whole set of rules that were only their own, that just coincidentally they could keep. And they said, as long as we keep these rules, as long as we do this, God is with us. Now, that still happens today. For some, the Bible is a guidebook to living that helps us to have our good outweigh our bad. We can measure up how well we performed, and then we can be confident that God will love us. But Jesus says that's all wrong. To think like that is not to have the Bible. It's actually to have the Bible accuse us, because that's not how the Bible works. The Bible shows us Jesus. And we need to see Jesus. And the reason we can't is the reason that we fail. When we can't see Jesus, we think about what we can do and the emphasis is on us. Moses' point was to show them that the standard of God's law was impossible to meet. Jesus says, if you had believed Moses, you would believe me because Jesus, because Moses wrote of Jesus. And when we understand that, then we run to the Savior. Because all of the Bible speaks of Jesus. And they should have seen this. Now, it's not just the New Testament that speaks about Jesus. That's why the Old Testament does also. That's why we have a balanced ministry here at Christ Church. We study the Old Testament and the New Testament because the whole of the Scriptures speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Testament is not just stories that teach our children how they should behave. No. If we think that, we've missed the message. Jesus tells us, Moses wrote of me. Now, what does that look like? Well, first of all, remember that the Old Testament ceremonial system points to Christ. It's all the shadows of which Jesus is the substance. So the next time you're reading the book of Hebrews, put your finger in the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament and go back and forth. Because the book of Hebrews tells us how the book of Leviticus is fulfilled in Jesus. How those shadows and signs are fulfilled in the substance of Jesus. Think about it. What is the day of atonement in the Old Testament? but a precursor of the atoning work of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is the tabernacle and the temple, but a prefiguring of the work of our Savior? Why does the Old Testament constantly talk about sprinkling with blood for the forgiveness of sins? I think you know why. The Old Testament's also full of types of Christ or pictures of Him. Moses was a prophet like Christ. You remember that earlier we saw, they asked John the Baptist if he was that prophet. That is the prophet from Deuteronomy 15 when Moses said, the Lord will send another prophet like unto me but greater than me. That's Jesus. You would look at David as the king. 
David is a type of Jesus, our great and immortal and perfect king. We go to Melchizedek. Melchizedek is a type of Christ. The author of Hebrews tells us about this. We're introduced to him. He's without parents, without end. He's the king of peace. It's a picture of Jesus. Think about Joshua, the conqueror of God's enemies. It's a picture of Jesus who rules over us and all our enemies. Over and over and over again, the Old Testament shows us Jesus. The Old Testament is full of prophecies of Christ. Now, as we come closer to the Christmas season, this becomes more and more obvious because we think about the prophecy of Jesus being born in Bethlehem, being born of a virgin. But we also think about the prophecy that his ministry would be that the gospel would be preached to the poor. But it's not just Christmas time. As we get closer to Easter, we read about in our wondrous at the prophecy that says he would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. Exactly. We read about the fact that his hands and feet would be pierced, as Zechariah says. We read about the fact that the psalm tells us not a bone would be broken, although that was the standard practice in the day. That he would be buried in a rich man's grave. And that came to come about. We saw it this morning in our scripture reading. Matthew tells us Jesus did that, that it might be fulfilled what was written. Over and over and over again, the Old Testament speaks of Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. He is the one we need to see. It's foolish to go to the Bible to find affirmation about how good we are. The Bible shows us a holy God before whom we cannot stand because we are not righteous. We need a righteousness that is not our own to stand before God. And Jesus has that righteousness. The Bible tells us that Jesus came to earth and lived a perfect life that we could not so that we might find forgiveness and grace. Jesus is telling you today that you must look for him. You must glorify Him. You must hope and trust in Him. Are you ready to do that today? Today is the day. If you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, praise the Lord. Then trust Him today in the middle of everything you're going through. Jesus is enough. Problems seem big. But Jesus is bigger. And if you're sitting here this morning and have never really understood what the big deal was about Jesus, understand now. Only Jesus saves. God's told us that. That's why he gave us the Bible. So we would look to Jesus and be saved. May God give us the grace we need to run to Jesus. Let's pray.